Our text today is verse 17, Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. This is a transition verse between chapter 2 and chapter 3. We're going to look at one verse uh, at the end of Malachi chapter 2. Verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? And that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would today as we look into your word, that you would by your Holy Spirit illuminate your word, use it to renew our minds and to mold us and shape us and conform us more closely to Jesus Christ, that we, your people, your church in the earth today would be a glorious witness. Father, we ask this for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. In this one verse here, we see the Lord declaring that the people had wearied him with their words. And as has been the pattern throughout our journey through Malachi, we see the people questioning God about these accusations that God is making toward them. You have wearied the Lord with your words, the prophet writes. The Lord expresses how he is wearied with the words of the people, not wearied in that God is tired, but wearied in the same way that we grow weary from hearing falsehoods and lies. The Lord is wearied by the sinful accusations of his people. Isaiah also draws attention to the Lord's weariness over the sin and iniquity of his people. In Isaiah 43, 24, Isaiah writes, But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. The Lord is long-suffering, but he will endure such sin and iniquity only, only for so long before he corrects his children in his love. When God corrects his children, he does so because he loves them. In Malachi, the Lord is expressing his weariness from hearing the people level false accusations against him. These accusations against the Lord come all the while the people are immersed in their own unrepentant sin. God, in his love, will not allow his children to remain unhindered in their sin. And we should be thankful that God does not leave us to ourselves unhindered in our own sin, but deals with us in his firm yet graceful love. In what way have we wearied him, the people ask. The people questioned the Lord concerning his accusation against them. The murmuring and complaining of the people was so prevalent that they could not discern the sin they were committing against the Lord and against one another. Very often we find ourselves murmuring and complaining and committing the same sins against God with our very attitudes and words. We are not to murmur, but we are to give thanks. 
When we pray, our prayers are not to be murmuring and complaining sessions with God, but instead the scripture instructs us to offer up our prayer and our supplications with thanksgiving. We are to be anxious for nothing but thankful in and for all things when we pray. The answer the Lord gives to the question, how have we wearied you, is twofold. And here's God's answer to them. The people ask, how have we wearied the Lord? And here's God's response. In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? So let's look at the first accusation of the people against the Lord. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. The people are accusing God of calling evil good and good evil. Isaiah issues a warning against those who do such. Isaiah writes in chapter 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is rampant in our culture today, and it is rampant in the church today. This accusation against the Lord by the people impugns the very nature and character of God. It calls into question the fundamental and foundational goodness of God as well as his opposition to evil. The Jews of Malachi's day were looking at the people around them. They saw the wicked prospering while God's people suffered. Instead of repenting for their sinful attitude toward God and their treachery against one another, the Jews joined themselves to the unbelievers. They hoped that they would reap blessings from the false gods of the other nations. Even today, we see God's people adopt the ways of the world in an effort to obtain the world's blessing and the world's approval. Yet the, the Lord calls the church to be different from the world. The Jews accused God of delighting in those who were doing evil in his sight. They made that false accusation as they saw the wicked prospering and assumed God was approving of their wickedness. That is what it looked like to them as they walked by sight and not by faith. It looks the same for us today when we are walking by sight and not by faith. If not careful, one could think that the world has more to offer than the Lord. But in the end, the world only offers death. Psalm 37, verses 1 and 3 and verse 9. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. We are to delight in the Lord and feed on his faithfulness. We must not look on the wicked with envy because of their prosperity for it will soon fade, but those who wait upon the Lord will inherit the earth. This is the promise of the Lord to his people. God does not delight in evil, and he does not delight in those who do evil. 
and they are not good in the Lord's sight. It is just the opposite, as the proverb declares. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Proverbs 23, 17 through 18. God promises your hope will not be cut off in the Lord. Hear the words of the psalmist as he gives assurance of God's promise of hope, even in the midst of great upheaval. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 7. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. The Lord of hosts is with us. In fact, his promise is that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So Christian, do not be moved by what you may see with your eyes, but walk by faith in the substance of those things hoped for, the evidence of those things not yet seen. For we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And we must believe that. And we must walk accordingly. According to those promises that God gives to us, his people. The second question that impugned God's character was this. Where is the God of justice? That question comes from a people focused on the injustice they see in others, but will not see in themselves. In light of all that is taking place in our world today, we may be tempted to ask the same question. When we are tempted to ask, where is the God of justice? Please remember that if you or I were to receive God's justice, we would have long ago been justly crushed under his wrath. That's really what we deserve. There is none good, no, not one. There is none of us that deserve the grace of God that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. Yet, God has given it to us because he is good, not because we are. He gives it to us not because we deserve it, but because he is good. And it is the good pleasure of his will to choose us for salvation and to make us his very own. No, God in his grace has not given justice to those in Christ. Instead, he has freely given his grace, and that grace is in no way due to any merit of our own, for we have none. We have instead received his grace and mercy in the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. For grace you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our only boast, in fact, is in the cross of Christ. 
In the cross, Paul writes, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. And that indeed is good news. God satisfied his justice by pouring out his wrath on the crucified Son of God. God did not give us justice. Instead, he gave us grace in his crucified and risen Son. Jesus took the full measure of God's justice in the full measure of wrath poured out upon him at the cross. And he took that wrath in our stead. The God of justice did not give to us what we deserved. Rather, he has given to us undeserved grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. Where is the God of justice? Well, the answer is the God of justice is alive and well and sitting firmly on his throne, ruling as Lord of all. Have no fear. Justice shall be served to the wicked who reject the justice of God and the cross of his son. We see so much injustice in our world, it's all around us. We find ourselves asking this very question, but we must not fall into that delusion that the God of justice has somehow vacated his throne. He has not, nor can he, nor will he ever. Justice is coming to the wicked just as surely as the Lord himself is coming. We do not rejoice in that, though we should tremble in that. Questioning where is the God of justice can also be an accusation of indifference or complacency on the Lord's part. And that's what the people were doing. Complacency is a sin that God promises to punish. We see God's attitude toward complacency through the words of the prophet Zephaniah, who prophesied the coming judgment upon Judah before the first Babylonian invasion. Zephaniah 1, verse 12. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Those words were uttered against the Lord pre-exile. The Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. And are very similar to the accusations we're reading here in Malachi made by the people of God post-exile, after they had returned from their exile, asking the question, where is the God of justice? This is an accusation of indifference, of God not caring enough to do good or to do evil. We see this attitude in our world today, men doing unspeakable evil because there is no fear of God. There, is, there are obvious examples we notice in the news headlines. For instance, migrants beating down police officers in New York and then giving the middle finger to the camera as they leave the justice center free to go with no consequence for their crime. No fear of God, no fear of the justice system. But what about less obvious examples that have long been in play, often ignored or unnoticed? How did we get to that place of viral videos, of beatdowns of police officers with no consequences? How did we get to that place? Well, we didn't get there overnight. And we got there mostly 
by ignoring and not noticing the things that were taking place, not outside the church, but inside the church. If judgment begins in the house of God, that means our problems do too. Peter writes in his first epistle that it's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. Peter, 1 Peter 4.17. It certainly does not stop there, but that is where it begins. If judgment begins in the house of God, I believe it's fair to say that is where our problems begin. And that would also imply that that is where our solutions are to be found. All of our woes in the church, the family, the culture, in our nation, among our people in the land did not just happen. They developed over a long period of time. No doubt our woes developed through complacency and indifference on the part of God's people. Compromises were made in order to gain favor with the world. Complacency and indifference most certainly had a negative impact on the church's worship of God and its view of the Word of God. There has been great compromise in both of those areas that continue to produce the bitter fruit we're all eating today. In the church, we have justified compromise by calling it contextualization. In reality, it is very often just compromise. Entertainment, we call worship, is really just entertainment. We justify such compromise based on the emotional response of the crowds of people drawn to it, but does God receive it with goodwill from our hands? As pleasing as it may be to us, is it pleasing to Him? It can be so easy to compromise and give in to complacency, but is that what we are called to do? We find ourselves complacent and indifferent because we do not want to disrupt the crowd. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to offend or draw the wrong kind of attention. We settle in and we want to believe that God approves of all that we are doing or not doing because we have a form of godliness. But the problem is there is no power. We can no longer deny that our culture is rotting. We can smell it, we can see it, and we can surely feel it. We want to blame lots of different people and different things. But if we are honest, and God always is, we must look first to the church where the only solution can be found. Many call the church irrelevant, but it is anything but irrelevant. How do we know? Look at the rot taking place in our culture, and that will tell you how relevant the church is. You say, but wait a minute, Pastor. If it's so relevant, why is it rotting? Well, it's rotting because the church has neglected what God has called her to do. Remove that which is supposed to be the salt preserving. Remove the preservative, and what happens? It rots which should tell us how relevant the preservative is. Yes, the church is more relevant than we can realize. And we should look around us and see just how relevant it is. From the church, we can look at the family. From the family, we can look at the culture, politics and all. And from the culture, we can see that we are in a world of hurt, continuing to do more of the same that got us where we are is not the solution. That's what we call insanity. 
but it does seem insanity is in vogue right now. So what is the solution? Well, I can tell you what is not the solution. Isolationism is not the solution. Isolationism has been presented as a possible solution, but it's not the solution God commands. There are whole movements where Christians are encouraged to just start their own communities and isolate from the world around them until all this mess destroys itself, and then we'll step in and rebuild the world. That's not what God commands us to do. You can run, but you cannot hide, corporately or personally. The tendency many Christians have is to do just that, isolate and pray until it or we go away. If only, we, if only it worked that way. God has made sure that it does not work that way, and he commands us to meet the challenge head on. Wherever you hide from yours or anyone else's sin, it will find you. The corruption that sin produces is inescapable. Complacency and indifference only leave the rot of sin and corruption unchecked. We must meet these challenges head on as salt and light. Light dispelling the darkness and salt turning the rot into something glorious that God will use to grow and increase his kingdom. That is the hard work each of us are called to on a micro and a macro level. The people of God in Malachi's day questioned God, wondering where he was and while they were struggling, where is God in the midst of all of our struggles while the wicked seem to be prospering all around us? Many wonder the same thing today. They believe they deserve the blessing of God because they are God's chosen people. That's what Malachi, that's what the Jews in Malachi's day believed. We deserve the blessing because we are God's people. Why does it seem like the world is being blessed while we're not? They believed they were entitled. And many today, inside and outside the church, have the same entitlement mentality. Much like today, the people of Malachi's day would not acknowledge their own sin. They would not acknowledge their own treacherous injustice committed against one another. And they did not acknowledge the defilement of God's table with their polluted offerings. Yet in all of this, they cast shade on God and accused him of delighting in those who do evil. If you spend any time talking to people today, these are sentiments that you are likely to hear. And we need to be prepared to help people understand the difference, the truth. So what are we to do? First of all, own your sin. You cannot hide from it. You cannot hide from God. You can't hide your sin from God. So don't. First, take your sin to the Lord, give it to him, and trust that when you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what his word says. So believe it, Christian. Trust his word. Trust the cleansing blood of Christ and keep walking by faith. After you have gone to God, if you have sinned or committed an offense against your brother or your sister and caused hurt or harm... Go to them and make it right. Running and hiding and isolating are not the way to deal with sin. Yet so many Christians run and hide and isolate rather than deal with sin head on. They do this because it is too uncomfortable in their selfishness and their pride 
They refuse to obey what Jesus commands us to do and deal with our sin and the offenses we inflict upon others. Be uncompromisingly committed to the Lord. Don't be complacent. Don't be indifferent when it comes to truth and the things of God. Don't compromise with sin. And when you do, confess it to God and trust his cleansing blood. Purpose to be a man or a woman of God that is willing to fade the heat from those within the church and without when it comes to our worship of God and our commitment to obey his word. Love the Lord. Love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Then love your neighbor as yourself. Or better yet, love them as Christ has loved you. Next, trust the Lord. Don't be moved by what you see, what you hear, or what you feel. Too many of us are moved by what we feel. Well, I just feel. No, stop. Stop. Go to the Word. Measure your feelings against the Word of God. Measure that voice you hear against the Word of God. And if the voice you hear is not consistent with the Word of God, then it's not the voice of the Lord you're hearing. I don't care how much it feels that it is. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord and let His Word and His Spirit inform you and lead you. Walk by faith, not by sight. Know that God is sovereign and that he is Lord over all things. Trust that God has a plan and a purpose even when you cannot see it. And very often we cannot. As you trust him, know that his word will never lead you wrong and his spirit will always agree with his word. Live for the generations. In our Western dispensational rapture-ready eschatology, The church has often failed to look forward and plan for the coming generations. And why would they? If you think you will be here, you will not be here for generations, then why would you plan for the generations? That has been a great mistake that we are suffering from right now. The wicked, on the other hand, have been planning for many generations. You can go back and read their plan. They've laid it out in black and white, and it's come to pass very well. They plan for a future when they will finally capture the minds, the hearts and the minds of our children. And those children will grow up to become the leaders of today and tomorrow for the generations is their hope. That day has come and we are living with the consequences of our neglect. Remember the exhortation, trust the Lord. If we are late, it's better than never. You might say, gosh, we're late. Yeah, we are. So let's get to work. There is no time like the present to begin planning for tomorrow. This is the work of the Great Commission, to disciple the generations of all the nations until Jesus returns. Be unashamedly post-millennial in your eschatology. Begin to pray and plan and live for the generations that are coming after us. Educate them accordingly. Teach them how to think, not just for the present, but for the future. That is something many of us did not have growing up, but we can make sure our children and our children's children do have those things so that they too are living for the glory of God in the coming generations. 
The point of all of this is to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It begins with each and every one of us, but it does not stop with us, but it goes on to a thousand generations. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us prepare to come to the Lord's table. You have been called to worship. You have confessed your sin and received the assurance of pardon. You have been consecrated by God and his word. And now he invites you to come to his table and to commune with him, to be renewed by eating his bread and drinking his wine so that you will be empowered to go out and fulfill the commission that he has given to each and every one of us. Amen. Christian, if you have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, young or old, you are welcome to this table, so welcome to Jesus. Please stand for your charge. Christian, you must own your sin. Confess it to God, and when necessary, confess it to one another and forgive one another even as God has forgiven you. Don't isolate. Resist the temptation to run and hide and fail to deal with your uncomfortable situations, relationships, and sin. Don't compromise, but fully and consistently commit to love the Lord, His people, in all of His ways. Trust the sovereign God of creation. Trust your Lord. Don't be moved by what you see, even if the mountains are carried away. Walk by faith, not by sight. Live for the generations. Build the kingdom now and for the future until Jesus comes. Don't look for your escape. Live to see the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Measure progress by your faithfulness, not by your accomplishments. Amen? Amen. Let's sing our thanks to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord be with you. The Lord.